This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. I'm Justin Garrett Moore, Executive Director of the New York City Public Design Commission. I also teach in Columbia GSAP's Urban Design and Urban Planning programs, and I'm a graduate of the school. I'm speaking with fellow alumni Roseanne Haggerty in advance of her lecture at Wood Auditorium today on October 2nd. Roseanne is founder and chief executive officer of Community Solutions and is internationally recognized for her work in developing innovative strategies to end homelessness and strengthen communities. Thanks for speaking with me today, Roseanne. Thank you, Justin. We actually had the chance to begin a conversation about agency, public spaces, and community development a few weeks ago at Idea City here in New York. One of my takeaways from that dialogue was that many of the ideas that we discussed were somehow disruptive actions meant to challenge existing systems or patterns. Your lecture this evening at GSAP is titled, Housing is a Verb. That is an action, not only a noun or a thing, i.e. public housing, affordable housing, supportive housing, luxury housing. Can you talk a little bit about this distinction and some examples of housing as a verb from your work? Two of the points I'll be covering in my remarks tonight, Justin, are uh, first about the process of housing. That housing, especially if you aren't in a position where the market works for you, how you get access to decent, sustainable, affordable housing, uh, how we allocate housing, the, um, the way we have designed or failed to design uh, a system that actually optimizes the housing resources we have and sees that people who do need support actually get uh, a basic decent place to live. So that whole question of the process of housing uh, is, is one that uh, we have found is really at the heart of what it takes to uh, make progress on homelessness. And then another way in which uh, the, the action of housing uh, has, has been really proven to be um, uh, so essential in getting good outcomes is who gets to design it, who gets to shape how it operates, how it looks, uh, its features, its rules, and to the extent we have been able to help communities make progress in housing uh, their most vulnerable residents and in really um, opening up access to more people to basic housing. It's been about uh, re-examining the process of housing and who participates in the design of it. With Community Solutions, you've had a lot of background in actually building housing and, and participating in kind of reinventing and, and reimagining how it's built and designed. Can you talk a little bit of, about some of your background in doing this work? I personally and my, my colleagues started off as developers, as not-for-profit developers, principally of supportive housing. And the innovation then, uh, back in the day, was uh, uh, creating mixed-income, mixed-use housing that incorporated at least 50% of the units would be for individuals coming from homelessness. And it was a real uh, reimagination of the old SRO, the old single room occupancy hotel. Uh, And uh, we were part of that early wave of groups in New York really showing that this was the solution to homelessness to uh, uh, recreate something that had been sort of a a despised, almost uh, banned form of housing. You couldn't build it new unless you were a not-for-profit and demonstrate that that kind of modest, 
uh, single room, uh, but uh, uh, much better designed than traditionally, uh, was was really the um, the kind of missing piece of the housing ladder. But um, we we realized that actually there are other forms of housing that had been sort of shunned. <laughs> that uh, actually, you know, the impulse to promote quality sometimes left housing advocates with sort of blinders that you can and can eliminate poor quality housing, but you can't eliminate the need of people for that first or second rung on the housing ladder. So how are we going to solve the design and management problems that attend some of historically uh, the uh, uh, sort of despised forms of housing, like SROs, like lodging houses, uh, certain types of shared accommodations, even public housing? How do we actually make that housing work for people because at its core, it's meeting a need. And I think all uh, across these different forms, we found in our, our early years uh, that you know, by um, taking good design, listening to the, 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 the residents or the future residents, and being really serious about the quality of the management and the connection of the right kinds of supports, these types of housing could actually be part of, you know, a, an important solution. But uh, the leap beyond the, 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 the life as a, a builder developer was realizing that that was um, sort of insufficient to see that the housing actually reached the people who needed it. And that, you know, the, these good housing models needed to exist in, you know, a, a, an intentional system that was seeing that people who couldn't navigate their way to housing easily for reasons of disability, poverty, stigma, that you actually had a responsible system that would see that those public investments actually reached the people who needed them. And so in the last several years, we really moved to looking at, you know, what's that system? How can it be built? How can it actually respond to people for who it needs to operate well? Yeah, I'm really happy to hear the role of design, you know, that design is also a verb. If housing is a verb, design is a verb, and it's a part of the same action uh, that, you know, all of us here at, at GSAP are very much invested in kind of testing and, and experimenting with, with how we do that and, and what it means. You know, you were talking a little bit about the transition into connecting housing with the systems and, and community work, and so... Uh, community solutions has been uh, really going beyond housing and, and homelessness to also focus actually on communities or the context where all of this is happening, specifically really helping communities to become better problem solvers. So here at, at GSAP, we have students and faculty and we work in different disciplines, right? We've got real estate development, architecture, planning, urban design, preservation, and, and researchers. So in this work of bridging housing, community development, uh, real estate development, what are some of the important problem-solving tools and approaches that you've found that have impact on the built environment and in some of the communities that you see somehow missing from your work and, and just being in, in the development and built environment world? Stepping back from the, the process of um, how you organize uh, future residents to help shape and design their housing environment. What we found are critical tools to getting at uh, a well-functioning housing system. Uh, well, they begin with data analytics of all things. You know, to start off as you know, a housing person and find you know, like one of the most important tools to getting at 
uh, more equitable housing and more successful housing systems is really knowing you know where the problems are happening and where they're breaking down. And you referenced our work in communities. Well, once we made this shift to thinking, are we going to be about trying to find an end to homelessness, which includes a prevention dimension, or are we going to simply continue on the course of building you know, fine and needed housing programs? But when we actually made that shift to like, what's it going to take to end this problem? We found that without understanding it and its granularity, almost on a person-by-person basis, you know, and, and kind of finding a fractal, and in our case it was, who was living on the Times Square streets for years and years, and what was their backstory, and what would it take to get them into housing? And what we found, Justin, was, you know, from those uh, uh, one-on-one interviews, from digging into the data on who was becoming homeless in New York City as a family or after a, uh, an experience of foster care or the criminal justice system, you know, there's a lot of interaction between time in institutions and then later homelessness. We found that upstream of a lot of these um, failed transitions um, were a handful of neighborhoods in New York City and a handful of census tracts in those neighborhoods where the conditions of poverty and inequity had lived unbroken for a long time. And it's like, all right, now you see it. Are you going to try to understand and do something different there? And that was, it was really following the data trail that you know, this was not a series of random events, uh, individuals and families in New York becoming homeless. This, this was trackable to certain environments. And so that's what got us to Brownsville, where we joined for forces with an amazing local leader, Greg Jackson, who uh, tragically passed away five years ago, but was our first director in kind of shaping how do we get people working together and using different tools. And so data was the first, and it really was you know the, the path that led us upstream to certain places. And then another uh, critical tool we found is um, design thinking. Like, how do you form hypotheses about what we can do differently? And I suppose you can be in a room by yourself and go through a design thinking exercise. It seems as though it's lost its power, though. You know, the, the point is to get a group of people together who are experiencing something that you know, they wish to change. They may be experiencing it differently. They may want to go in different directions. But everyone is there because they know things need to and can be different. And so we started becoming um, uh, practitioners of design thinking as ways of getting groups together in communities so like, all right, here's the problem. How do we form some hypotheses? And then a third problem-solving tool we arrived at was uh, quality improvement. You know, just the idea that you actually can attach measures to those hypotheses. You can begin testing ideas and, you know, can kind of get beyond, you know, opinion, ideology to really be in a common search for what works. And then we found, and, and this is all very much still a journey, but um, getting getting the the right people at the table is so key to this people who represent the kind of the, the critical different perspectives people who really feel themselves as uh, as um, um, actors in the drama uh, it's not always you can't be casual about the facilitation you have to be really you know quite deliberate and skilled and so our our, our team has uh, really paid attention to developing those skills so we can transfer them and share them with others
That's a really key part of, I think, what a lot of different sectors, disciplines are starting to work on is that dimension of really communications and and the ability to talk to people with differing opinions, different backgrounds, and in different contexts. And it's something that uh, does get outside of kind of what we would call the studio design thinking environment, right, in the on the computer screen, on the drawing board, but really sort of connecting and, and, and connecting with people uh, directly. Along those lines, something that dovetails into the, my next question was that it seems that right now we're in this uh, critical or at least highly visible moment uh, nationally, globally, where climate or rather our environmental, economic, and, and cultural climates are not only changing but clashing, right? This sort of critical differences that you were you were just uh, referring to. Um, so these multiple climates are forced to resolve themselves uh, one way or another at this kind of local uh, scale, you know, kind of down to the experiences of, of people, right? The uh, homeless person on the street in Times Square, or it could be, you know, a decision maker in a, uh, you know, real estate development company, right? All these experiences matter. You know, you've been working uh, in multiple communities where uh, policy, planning, real estate, design have not always created the best outcomes for people. You know, you were kind of mentioning some of them earlier. And in some cases, they're really contributing to the clashes, right? The distrust that may happen in a community like Brownsville uh, from years of kind of neglect and broken promises. Can you tell us a bit about some of the places like Brownsville, but also um, understand you're working in North Hartford uh, in Connecticut and some of the the challenges and successes uh, that that you've seen working for change for, uh, you know, getting improvements in, in places like these? In addition to Brownsville and North Hartford, which are our two community development sites where we're trying to bring kind of a, a, a different participatory and kind of design-oriented um, uh, frame to community development, we also work, I should say, in 72 other communities around the country on our homelessness work. And so it's interesting to see you know, the overwhelming similarities and the very local differences. Um, what's what's a, 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 a telling difference between all of these communities where we're working on resolving a single issue, which is um, chronic and veteran homelessness, uh, which where the systems have to look the same. It, it's kind of clear who needs to be at that table. You know, it's got to be the mayor or the county executive, the VA, the housing authority, the not-for-profits. They've got to learn to see this the problem in the same way, use the same measures. It's much more hairy in a neighborhood. Who needs to be involved, and who wants to the, be the involved? real mayor? Yeah, exactly. And and so, it's it's you know a much more complicated proposition. And you know it really is what we found the 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 route to some progress that's meaningful and is convincing to people are you know, specific projects as opposed to trying to work globally. We find we, we need to develop a global frame that, like, what does success look like in terms of prosperity and greater health and, and, and public safety, and with each project have some real measures, like how many people do we want to see employed next year over this year, and what do we collectively have to do to advance that? Or what do we want to be seeing in terms of uh, the penetration of trauma-informed services um, uh, uh, in, in the community and what 
what's a, a tipping point goal to work toward. And I'll tell you, one, one very um, interesting and kind of uh, un unfolding as we're speaking uh, example that goes to kind of the physical environment is in the north end of Hartford, which is the only promise zone in New England. Uh, we were approached now seven years ago by uh, the, interestingly, the Hartford Preservation Alliance, the then mayor, and the community organization, all separately but commonly uh, looking for uh, uh, someone, some organization that would uh, you know, find a way to rescue this historic factory complex that was at the heart of the neighborhood, had been for years the neighborhood's largest employer, had closed about 10 years earlier, and was about to be demolished. And it was really kind of the last straw in this part of the city, which was the poorest neighborhood in one of the poorest cities, not just in the state and in the country. And so yeah, we weren't exactly the, the the logical people to go to, like a factory. But um, because when we when we met with all of these different groups, um, they were like, "We don't need housing," and they're right. I mean, the housing vacancy rate in this neighborhood is about nineteen percent. They need better, more uh, uh, affordable housing. But they didn't need more housing. But what the community loud and clear said. We need jobs. This is, you know, one of the highest rates of unemployment in the state. And so, yeah, we're, um, it, it took about seven years now, but we're about to close the financing for a complete transformation of that old factory complex into a new manufacturing center focused on food manufacturing and distribution. And so, in some ways, it's like an amazing victory, you know, like just working with the community. We hung in there for years, piecing it together. I think there, I think there are sixteen different sources of funding. I mean, the the closing checklist is insane, but it's a good news story. But it's also like, why should it be so hard? You know, like there are people in this community who like stood up and said, "We're just going to do something here." You know, we we've been seeing job loss and increased crime and failed education for years. It stops here, but then it would take so long, um, you know, that there's both the 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 hope and the the problem in that. Yeah, I mean that's a, a really great arc to come in with your background and, and expertise and and uh, experience in in building housing, but being able to land into a community and and listen, right? That's how how you're sort of starting, and maybe housing isn't uh, necessarily the the end game there, but it's all connected, right? In in the work that you're doing, the jobs then connects to the homelessness issue, or uh, just the the trust deficit in a community with taking the time to spend years uh, developing a change that is the kind of change that people want to see is is very difficult um, work. Um, so something um, you know like homelessness or Improving communities is is obviously a huge challenge. These are the the big grand ideas or the uh, uh, almost impossible uh, problems. Um, so that that's an idea that that you've sort of explicitly taken on. Um, and people like architects, designers, planners, developers uh, are very much interested in scale. Right? How do we change scale? Or how do we scale this up? Or how do we expand what we're what we're doing. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, 
the Built for Zero initiative, which I understand to be kind of a national scale uh, kind of framework for, for this work and, and how you've been able to scale different strategies and initiatives in, in some of your work. Well, I think, Justin, it begins with, in homelessness, um, understanding that that's too big a category. It's like saying we want to end sickness. You know, you have to break it down into parts. And with homelessness, um, the, the royal we have known for years, ever since you know, people got wise to the data, that people experience homelessness very differently. And homelessness, you know, in, in, in some environments, you know, and this was, this was the practice in New York before people started paying attention to data. If you, you know, were homeless for one night, technically, because, you know, like you had a fight with your girlfriend or if you're homeless for 10 years and had a, a chronic mental illness, you were equally homeless. And so because the housing systems, such as they are, were blind to that, you know, guess who was always chosen first? Well, you, who you know, clearly are going to be a, a good tenant and a good risk, you know, you know, come right in. And without any discipline around the fact that, wait a minute, these are, it's, it's the difference between having a headache and needing brain surgery. You know? and, and we have gotten... You know, just smarter and smarter over the years. Realize, like, homelessness doesn't tell you anything. You know, you need to like, okay, what is your specific situation, and how do you uh, um, employ some of the same triage uh, concepts that would allow you to have a well-functioning emergency room at uh, a city hospital? Like, a lot of people, and we understand this, will you know arrive in distress, but be examined given, you know, uh, 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 instructions to go home and drink fluids and rest and, and take their prescription, whereas a smaller group would be admitted and a smaller group still would have a complicated, you know, um, uh, long-term kind of interventions. And that's actually kind of the way we have to think about housing emergencies. And so once you have that mindset, you're, you're kind of liberated to think of, all right, how do we scale up the solutions that are working in terms of, you know, triage, know people by name, you know, follow, follow you know, an individual diagnosis. Don't just see everyone experiencing homelessness as this in this undifferentiated and undifferentiated situation. And so, once communities can see, you know, that there are, you know, different solutions called for, we've been able to really organize more around a, a change movement. Uh, 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 engage. Well, first it was our hundred thousand homes campaign that ran for four years. It was like we're going to like who's going to jump on board and learn together what it's going to take to uh, end the homelessness of a hundred thousand vulnerable Americans. And these hundred eighty six communities who joined in really were joining in a learning journey. We had a few things that we knew worked, but it was about collectively learning how to employ them in hundred eighty six different environments with 186 different local teams with, you know, like kind of really basic social media, like webinars and email, you know, and uh, this wasn't an app. It was just like, what, how do we learn fast from each other? And yeah, exactly. Organizing work and, you know, giving clear goals. And yet as we learn things that were clear differentiators, we would give communities targets. You know, like I I think out of this, out of that, that first movement, 100,000 homes, I, I think we collectively, discovered the whole idea of a housing placement rate. You know, like, that's one kind of measure if you've got an organized housing system. How long does it take you to get someone who's in your homelessness system housed? 
And, and so we saw communities not be able to even account for it to, by the end, it's like, you know, under 30 days. And that begins to look like you've got a solution that scales. And so we got to the end of the four years and more than 105,000, almost, uh, I guess, 105, almost 106,000 people were housed. I should say, with the exception of um, additional vouchers for veterans, uh, with no new resources. This is about just getting organized and optimizing what you have. But the the second phase of the movement that we're now in, Built for Zero, is about this vision of actually what does it take to end chronic and veteran homelessness. And I'd say we're, there, you could draw a lot of parallels between the way we're organized and working with these uh, 72 communities who just put their hands up saying, we're willing to do whatever it takes to just get to an unprecedented end state here. And it's more like you would see the infrastructure of a polio eradication efforts. You know, like communication about real name and real time and real accountability. To wrap things up, is there uh, anything new you're working on or do you have thoughts uh, or issues of concern for the next generation? This uh, GSAP Conversations is, is really meant to be of forward thinking, uh, and so uh, ideas that we'd like to share with our GSAP Conversations audience. Well, I'll just anticipate what I'm going to be uh, saying tonight, but um, you know, this question of um, building housing systems, not one-offs. I mean, one-offs are great if they fit into you know, a larger system and they're really solving a problem that's been you know, documented and articulated by real people. You know, I think that that idea of from whom do we take our cues? You know, is it, you know, our own, you know, kind of uh, design interests, or is it design and service of solving a problem? I mean, we're, you know, my work, our organization's work, is all about uh, uh, you know, making uh, a, an equitable housing system. So, you know, we don't we don't tend to think of other uh, uh, forms of, of of housing other than how do we create a, a, a good options. At the entire for the entire spectrum of those in housing need, uh, and then the other thing that I think and goes to what we're we're working on is uh, what are the new housing models that themselves can be scaled. Uh, our real estate team, you know, we've kind of crept back into the real estate business as, as you know from Swift and Hartford and a couple of other really important projects, but we're now doing projects that we think just need to be like where is there a need that just needs to be figured out. And it's needed everywhere because we're working in so many places. We're like, this is not just a New York City problem or this is not just a, a Denver problem. Uh, and uh, so uh, we're now looking at housing models themselves, not just the design of housing systems. What can be, what can be scaled from a, you know, a kind of a construction materials financing you know, uh, uh, perspective and how that, those, those new housing products actually plug in and fill those those last mile gaps for people who um, are, are now homeless. That's really great. I mean, you know, here in, in New York, obviously, there have been a lot of tests and experiments and, like you said, one-offs uh, in some cases for housing. And I totally agree that the really getting at the system in, in ways that this is broadly applicable is, is really important. Uh, work that uh, you and, and uh, your organization is doing. So thank you, Roseanne, for uh, returning to share your work and ideas with us here at GSAP. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. For those interested in learning more about Roseanne's work, you can browse online at community.solutions. Thank you. Thank you.
This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with ARC Daily. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu. Thank you.